Welcome to GovInnovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Hilary Seligman is with us today from the University of California, San Francisco, to talk about a successful pilot food bank intervention designed to improve the health of people with diabetes. Here's a clip. If we can bring healthier behaviors and healthier foods into these households, we can potentially influence not just that person who we found at the food pantry that has diabetes, but everyone else who lives in their household. And that's really powerful. Between 2012 and 2014, researchers enrolled almost 700 food pantry clients with diabetes in a six-month pilot intervention across three states. The intervention provided participants with diabetes-appropriate food, blood sugar monitoring, primary care referral, and self-management support. The results show small but important improvements across a range of health indicators. While the findings will need to be confirmed by a randomized control trial, the intervention creates a model for food banks to use to address diet-sensitive disease in low-income communities. The study also shows the value of running pilot programs to test the feasibility of innovative social programs. To learn more, we're joined by Dr. Hilary Seligman. She's a professor of medicine, epidemiology, and biostatistics at UCSF, a practicing physician, and the lead author of the study on the intervention, which was recently published in the journal Health Affairs. Hilary, welcome. Thank you. I know there was just some good news that diabetes rates have fallen by about a fifth in recent years, but tell us why diabetes is still a critical issue. Yes, diabetes is still affecting a huge percentage of the U.S. population. The problem with diabetes is that it affects the lowest income and the most highly vulnerable Americans in the U.S. the most. Increasingly, diabetes is becoming a disease of the poor. So even though diabetes rates have fallen, and this is really good news, we have a huge number of people in this country who have diabetes now. We have a huge number of people who are going to have diabetes over the next 10 years, even if the pace of increase is slowing a little bit. And tell us about the goals of the food bank intervention. So we have this idea, which is that our lowest income and our most highly vulnerable patients in the clinics that I work in have a really hard time making it into the clinic for the very regular support and education that you need in order to manage with diabetes day in and day out. At the same time, we have this huge network of food banks across the U.S., and these food banks are affiliated with hundreds and thousands of food pantries that reach the same people week after week or month after month for many years, sometimes for many decades. And so the idea was, can we offer people with diabetes the same kind of support that people are having a really challenging time getting in their clinic, can we provide it in their food pantry? And not only that, food pantries are great because they also provide food. So the diabetes intervention had four components. Number one, can we screen people for diabetes in the food pantry line and then monitor their blood sugar when they come back to the food pantry? Can the food pantry give out diabetes-appropriate food to people with diabetes? Can they hook you up with a primary care provider if you don't have one? And the fourth component, can you get your diabetes education and self-management support from people who work at your food bank in addition to people who work at your clinic? 
So, Hillary, the intervention was done as a pilot study, meaning you were testing the feasibility of the approach before you would do a more rigorous impact evaluation. For listeners to this podcast, I think your study is important not only because of the findings, but also because it's an example of why a pilot program prior to a larger study can be really useful. Tell us in your own words why you chose that approach. The reason we developed it as a pilot study was that we had a lot of doubts going in as to whether this was a model that could even be pulled off. So we felt like we needed a lot of experience and expertise to figure out how would we teach food pantry staff to monitor hemoglobin A1Cs. Could we get people lining up for food and food pantries to come back for diabetes education at their pantry? Would a healthcare provider answer a call from the food bank that said, hey, we have a person with diabetes in our line here who hasn't seen a doctor in 10 years? So these were all critical process questions that we felt we needed to work out to see if this intervention was potentially effective. And what we found was we could work out all of those kinks. And we could use the food bank as the organizing structure for this kind of complex intervention. And so then the next question becomes, is it effective? And that effectiveness question will be examined more rigorously in the next phase when you run an RCT, a randomized control trial. But in this pilot study, you got some preliminary information about effectiveness by looking at the change in health outcomes of the participants. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we structured this as what we call in science a pre-post design, which means we're looking at the same people before they start the intervention and then looking at them again at the end of their intervention uh, and seeing if they got any better. Now, that's not a perfect study design, as you can imagine, because you may get better for any of a number of reasons other than the fact that you were in our intervention at the food bank. It may have been that someone reminding you that you had diabetes made your blood sugar better. It may be that the entire community implemented a no-sugar-sweetened beverage summer public health campaign, and that's why your diabetes got better. We have no idea. But what we do know is that among the people in our study, blood sugar got better. And that is enough evidence for us to say, wow, maybe the intervention had something to do with it. We need a new kind of study design so that we can say blood sugars got better and we know they got better because of the intervention that we did in the food bank. In terms of the pre-post observational results, in your study you note that the overall change in health, in this case in glycemic control, was small, but larger improvements did occur for people with the most serious cases of diabetes. Yes. So among the people who had the most poorly controlled diabetes, their blood sugar control got much better. It improved from a hemoglobin A1C of 9.5% to 9.0%. Now, a normal hemoglobin A1C is less than 57 If you're more than 6.5, we say you have diabetes. If your hemoglobin A1C is above 9, your diabetes is so poorly controlled, your blood is always coursing with toxic levels of sugar. So these are people with very, very poorly controlled diabetes coming down from 9.5% to 9%. 
And Hillary, tell us about the next steps in this research. You mentioned there's going to be a randomized controlled trial. There is going to be an RCT. It is already in the field. It is being conducted in three new food banks um, across the U.S. We are already in the enrollment stage, and so it is off and running. A final question for you. At the end of your study in health affairs, you and your co-authors note that the intervention creates a model for food banks to use in responding to other diet-sensitive diseases in low-income communities. Tell us about some of those broader implications. Absolutely. In two places, it has wider implications. The first is that diabetes is not the only diet-sensitive chronic disease. If we can provide this kind of healthy food and self-management support for diabetes, we should be able to do it for prediabetes and hypertension and obesity and congestive heart failure and other clinical diseases that have a very heavy food component to them. The second thing is that food insecurity is not an individual level phenomenon. It's a household level phenomenon. The whole household is food insecure at the same time. And the food that went home to participants in our study wasn't eaten just by our participant with diabetes. It was eaten by the rest of the family. And the people who live with somebody with diabetes are also at very high risk of diabetes themselves. So if we can bring healthier behaviors and healthier foods into these households, we can potentially influence not just that person who we found at the food pantry that has diabetes, but everyone else who lives in their household. And that's really powerful. My thanks to Dr. Hillary Seligman for joining us. Hillary, thank you for giving us an overview of a really important pilot study. I had a great time. Thank you, Andy.